Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. I'm Dr. Jeff, uh, and this is my podcast, and it's mostly for the parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia, but it's also for anyone else who's interested. Anyway, this is Nutrition 3, my third episode on nutrition in children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia. And you should listen to Nutrition 1, and then you'll understand why nutrition can be a problem, why kids can lose a lot of weight if they're on chemotherapy, particularly the stronger chemotherapies, and why that's a problem. And today I want to talk about feeding tubes, nasogastric feeding tubes in particular. So what you will have heard from those earlier episodes was that sometimes kids just can't bring themselves to eat enough. Sometimes they feel nauseated or vomiting from the chemotherapy side effects and try as they might, they just can't get themselves to eat enough and so they lose weight and they lose weight. And then you find that they've lost 10% of their initial body weight and then 15% of their initial body weight and it doesn't look like turning around anytime soon. Well, in these circumstances, one of the options that we look at is to use something called a feeding tube. And in particular today, I'm talking about a nasogastric feeding tube. And this basically is a tube that goes in the nose, down the esophagus, you know, down your throat, and then ends up in the stomach. And then it can be used to feed a special formula down the tube to give the child lots of calories so they can maintain their weight and then they can put some weight back on. And we use a lot of these tubes, and so I want to talk all about them. So the first off, I just want to explain the name of them. So nasogastric tube. So naso just means your nose, right? Naso, nasal passages, naso. Gastric means stomach. Whenever you hear the word gastric, it's referring to the stomach. So a nasogastric tube, like I said, it's this soft, plastic, thin tube that goes in the nose, down the throat, and it ends up with the tip of the tube sitting in the stomach. So that's why it's called a nasogastric tube. And the particular tubes that we use for this situation are quite thin and they're quite soft. Now there's other nasogastric tubes that get used in other areas of medicine and some of them are hard and stiff, you know, after people have major surgery on their abdomen sometimes those surgeons put in these big hard stiff wide things so they can suction the stomach and all sorts of things well we're not talking about one of those tubes we're talking about something that's normally called a silastic tube silastic it's this soft plastic that's quite thin i don't know how thin is it look at the cable that goes to your computer you know one of your usb cords for instance that sort of thickness but it's soft and it folds and moulds to the shape of an individual person inside. And so once it's been put in, well, after a couple of days, it tends to have moulded to the child's size and it doesn't tend to be particularly uncomfortable. The next thing to say is that, you know, the first time we talk to a family about putting in one of these tubes and talk to the child about putting in one of these tubes, they tend to regard it as a bit of a big deal, like this is a huge event. 
This is a major thing. This is a big point in treatment. This is a big deal. From a medical standpoint, nursing and medical, I've got to say that we don't tend to perceive it that way. Now, we know what the emotional impact of it all is and the significance of it all is to the family. It is a, you know, a bit of a change in things. But as far as a medical nursing procedure, we don't tend to think of it as a huge big deal. And you know what? If you ask me, very often, once we end up starting these sorts of tube feeds, well, oftentimes we think, ah, we really should have done this a week or two earlier. We often think, well, finally we've gone and put this tube in and we're all relieved and glad because now we can be sort of assured that the nutrition is going to get in. But yes, it's a bit of a sentinel event, I guess, for a child and for a family and it's a bit of a traumatic thing to put a tube like this in the first time and, you know, it distorts a child's body image a little bit. You know, they've now got a tube coming out their nose and it's sticky taped to their face and it's... You know, it's a bit unsightly and people are going to look at you and if you go to school with it, I guess kids are going to look at you, but they'll soon get used to it. You know, it's obviously worse for teenagers. You know, teenagers tend to be a bit more body conscious and so on and, you know, self-image is all that more important. So it's a bit of a big deal from the child's point of view. I get that. But from a medical and nursing point of view, we don't consider it a major procedure by any means. And most of the time we sort of feel quite comfortable then that at least we know the calories are going to get in. We think this is good. So next let me talk about how we put a tube like this in place. And generally speaking, this is a procedure that the nurses perform, putting in a nasogastric tube. And it doesn't need an anaesthetic or any of that. It's not like an operation or something. This is a nursing procedure and it's just done at the bedside in the ward and Typically, it's a bit of a traumatic thing for a child, right? The first time you put a tube like this in place, well, they don't quite know what's happening and people are putting a tube in their nose and they don't know what to expect and they tend to be pretty fearful of it and it is a bit traumatic to put the tube in. It feels a bit weird going in and most of the time you're really going to need one nurse to put the tube in and then you'll need one nurse to hold the child still and to hold their head because it's sort of natural to squirm your face all over the place in these circumstances and oftentimes the parent's part of this too. So it takes a few people. But basically it involves sitting the child up, maybe on the end of the bed and then you'll have one nurse who can help to hold the child still and hold the head still. And then the other nurse will get this fine tube and it's got a fine wire down the middle of it to give it a bit of stiffness to help in pushing it in. And they'll put a bit of sort of lubricating jelly on it and then basically thread the tube through the nostril sort of straight back and then the tube will take a bend on the inside and then they'll feed it down, 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 down until the required length has been fed in and then you'll predict that the tip of it is sitting in the stomach. So beforehand, they've measured out what the right length would be, and there's a special technique for working this out. And so they'll know what the right length should be for the tip of this tube then to be in the stomach. And then the tube can be taped in place, and then we can check the position. Now, the way we check the position of the tube, that is to check that the tip really is in the right place, is by attaching a syringe and sucking out some fluid from inside the stomach. So that fluid can be sucked out and then we test it to check that it really is acid, right? Your stomach has 
acid in it, hydrochloric acid that your body makes to digest food. Well, if we suck out some fluid from the stomach and then we test it on litmus paper. You know litmus paper? It's this paper you use to check the pH of things if it's acid or alkaline. Well, if you squirt some of this fluid onto a blue piece of litmus paper, well, it should turn pink. And that will indicate that you're getting acidic stuff. That will mean that the tip of the tube is in the stomach. So we don't want it to have gone in too far and threaded beyond the stomach and into the intestine. And of course, we don't want it to be sitting too short. So just sitting in the esophagus, in the throat. So no, we want it to be in the stomach. And so we want to know that we get acid out uh, when we aspirate it. And that's what the litmus paper does. And that's how we check that the tube is in the right place. Now, in some situations, that system doesn't quite confirm where the tip of it is. And sometimes we have to do an x-ray to be sure that the tip of the tube is, in fact, in the stomach. But most of the time, we just use the litmus paper. So like I said, this is a bit of a traumatic thing the first time we do it. But, you know, it's sort of the nature of paediatrics, I'm afraid. We have to do some painful procedures sometimes. You know, some kids will be pretty miserable and angry for a few hours afterwards and say, oh, that was the worst thing ever. But a lot of kids will say, huh, that really wasn't that bad. It it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. So it's going to vary from one kid to the next. The important thing when you're putting the tube in is if you can get the child to cooperate and swallow at the exact right time, well, that'll sort of feed the tube down into the stomach as a sort of natural thing. And sometimes with a cooperative child we can get them to sip on some water at the exact right time and to swallow at the right time and that helps to feed the tube right down into the stomach but you know some kids are a bit distressed by the whole thing and we can't quite get them to do that and I understand that you know it's a bit of a traumatic thing for them now some kids end up having a feeding tube put in more than once you know if if the tube falls out for some reason or if they vomit and then the tip of the tube comes out well, then they may have to have the tube put in again later on. And very often we find that when it's the second or third or fourth time putting in a tube like this, that it becomes a bit less traumatic for them. They tend to know what's happening and what's what it's going to be like, and they tend to find it not as traumatic as that first time we put a feeding tube in. And the other thing to say is that in those first hours when the tube is in, well, it's still a bit sort of firm plastic and it feels a bit more uncomfortable. But as it warms up to body temperature and then it and then it moulds to the particular shape of the child's body, it tends to become more comfortable with time. Anyway, the tube is taped in place, some tape across the cheek to sort of hold it in position, and then we can get on and use it for feeding. And this tube can stay in for a long time. There are different protocols in different units and for different tubes. Some of them say a maximum of three months is how long a tube should stay in place, but some units just let them stay in place while ever they're still working well and there's no problem and they're not blocked or anything like that. Now, once the tube's in place, uh, then we can start making a plan to use it. And this is where the dietitian is normally involved. Normally, the dietitian will have a look at the particular child's situation and work out, well, what should we put down the tube? And there's a variety of different formulas that you put down the tube. Uh, They all look a bit sort of milky, but you don't just put milk down the tube, generally speaking. No, there's normally one particular formula that's the right one for the child. Um, These aren't like baby formulas. These are proper nutritional, complete formulas, 
pretty much if you didn't eat anything at all, well, you would get just about all the nutrients you need just from the formula. And there's all sorts of different ones, depending on a child's particular nutritional needs, whether they have any other problems like diarrhea with one formula where you can swap them to another formula. And, you know, there's all sorts of different ones. It's very expert sophisticated decision-making process to work out, well, what formula should we use? And then the next question is, well, how will we give the formula? There are some circumstances where we say, okay, well, let's just give 200 mils several times a day. And so you just get the formula and then drip it down the tube and into the stomach a few times a day. Other times we say, okay, well, let's just pump the formula through the tube overnight for instance so we might say okay we'll hook up this feeding pump that'll just pump in the formula for say 12 hours overnight or 14 hours or in some circumstances you know it's 18 hours so most of the day you know in sort of more extreme circumstances so there's different ways to use this tube to put the formula down and you can put it down like I said as sort of intermittent doses of a formula or else by some sort of long pumping of feed down the tube oftentimes overnight and we do it overnight because otherwise the child will be attached to a pump during the day so that would restrict their mobility etc. So what are the things that can go wrong with a feeding tube? Well I guess they can get blocked and there's certain things you can't put down a feeding tube by the way and uh, you know we have lists of things you can't put down a feeding tube but you know even if we do everything right occasionally a tube gets blocked Uh, If the child vomits, well, it is possible to vomit out the tube. And so when that happens, the part of the tube that should have been in the throat and stomach can come up the throat and then typically come out the mouth. And now they have a bit of tube coming out their mouth. And in those circumstances, it's a case of, well, pulling it all out through the nose and getting the whole tube out and then making plans to put it in again. One thing that we don't really worry about so much is infection. You know, with central lines, we're totally crazy and paranoid about infection getting into a central line. Well, we don't have to act that way with a feeding tube. Remember, the nose is full of germs anyway, and your esophagus has germs in it, and the stomach will have some germs in it. It's not something that we need to be so obsessed about keeping it clean and sterile. I mean, we want to keep it clean, of course, but... It's not like the central line. We don't have to be totally paranoid. Another thing to mention is that these tubes can also be used for giving medications. In fact, we have some children who just will not take medicines by mouth. Despite all of our best efforts, they just will not take any medicines. And if the medicines are critically important, there are times when we have a nasogastric tube just to give the medicines. But if the tube is in for nutritional reasons, well, many medicines can also be given that way. And sometimes kids hate medicines, but they'll take them. But it's nicer just to put them down the tube. That's referring to liquid medicines, of course. Obviously, we can't normally put tablets down the tube unless there's some particular way to crush them up and dissolve them and so on. Anyway, that's nasogastric tubes. We use a lot of these in children and teenagers who are being treated for cancer. I think it's fair to say that most parents and children think of it as a huge thing and a big deal, but once the tube's in and they've had a bit of time to get used to it, well, they tend to take it in their stride and not find it as big a deal as as they imagined it was going to be. But certainly they're very valuable things for maintaining nutrition and they're critically important. They're a reliable way that we can top up the 
calorie intake for a child. They don't require the child to stay in hospital. All of this feeding can be done by parents at home with a bit of training and with maybe a feeding pump next to the bed, etc. Really good things. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and for now, hug that child, look after yourself, be nice to the nurses, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.